0: God, thank you for your love and mercy for how you care for us. And God, thank you for your word that you've left us with guidance and direction. You've left us with your truth. God, that you haven't left us as orphans. You've given us your Holy Spirit indwelling us that uh, we have your your guidance and your comfort. God, that you are our helper. God, we're undeserving and thank you for how you've blessed us. And as we look into your word again this morning. We love you and praise you. Amen. Alright. Somebody remind me what we've been looking at the last couple of weeks in the Gospel of Mark. The
1: last week.
0: Yeah, the last week of Christ, right? Passion week. Um, Last week, we looked at Peter and his involvement in uh, the final hours of Christ, right? And where he was at. And two weeks ago, we looked at the... The three Jewish trials that Jesus underwent, the the pseudo trials, right? These mock trials, this kangaroo court that Jesus was put through just hours before his death. Um, Anybody remember what those three trials were? I know I'm asking you a lot to think back two weeks now, but anybody remember one of them? Maybe not. Yes. Like, before yeah. Pilate? And... Is that what Uh-huh. But we haven't got to those yet. We're going to look at pilots' trials today. But yeah, those were some of them. When, like, the...
2: Was it when, like, the Pharisees were questioning
0: him? Yeah, good. So we're we're getting About somewhere. The
1: and
0: stuff? About what?
1: About, like, the lives and...
0: Oh, that was a few chapters ago. That was okay. chapter 12. Okay. But... Yeah, he's kind of been on trial all of his life, right? Because he's had the the Pharisees and all these groups who've been coming after him and they're trying to trip him up and get him killed, right? That was their goal from all the way back in Mark 3, 6 when the Pharisees were getting together with the Herodians and they were seeking how they might destroy him. And ever since then, they've been trying to trip him up, trying to get him in some kind of bind, um, trying to get him to... Uh, contradict himself, and of course, have been unable to all this time. And so now we get to the end of Jesus' life, and they have an opportunity because Judas has made himself available to betray Christ. And so, after the whole encounter in the garden, Jesus goes into the garden with the disciples. He takes the three, and they go farther into the garden. and Jesus leaves them and says, Hey, will you guys pray for me? Uh, and then he goes off and he prays even farther in the garden by himself. And then he's approached by this big crowd. Remember, they brought the whole a whole Roman cohort up against him. So upwards of 600 soldiers that they brought up against Jesus, along with the, the elders and the temple police. And they came up against Jesus. And then that's when the, the trials began. So let's do a little bit of review. Here's the six trials that uh, took place before the crucifixion of Christ. A couple weeks ago, we looked at the first three, the ones on the left, the Jewish or religious trials. And not, all, not one of the Gospels has all six of these trials mentioned. So we come to an understanding of these six trials by kind of piecing them together and looking at them through the lens of the four different authors of the Gospels. And so we looked at the first trial before Annas and the second trial before Caiaphas, the third trial before the Sanhedrin. That one is really brief. None of them last a super long time because remember, this is all taking place illegally in the middle of the night trying to rush things through so they can crucify Christ. But especially that third trial before the Sanhedrin seems to be especially brief. Now two of those trials uh, we looked at with Annas or before Annas and before Caiaphas. Uh, both of those men were mentioned as high priests. How is that? Remember, high priests were supposed to serve their term through... It was supposed to be a lifelong term. So how is it that we have two high priests who are involved in these mock trials of our Lord?
3: One of them the current high priest. The
0: yeah, good. Yeah, so Annas, he was a, a previous high priest. Uh, it would been couple of decades it seems since he had been high priest he was high priest for five or six years and since he was high priest he passed it on to his family he had five of his sons who were high priests since then and now Caiaphas is the current high priest when Jesus is being uh, so-called tried in this trial right and he is the son-in-law of Annas and so they're keeping it in the family trying to use this uh, religious position as a position of political power and authority a total misuse of what it was supposed to be uh, used for, the purpose of a high priest. And so, yeah, we have these two high priests who aren't using that role properly, and Jesus was seen before them. And then early in the morning, on the day that he would actually die, they all came together, and just to kind of make things look proper, right, make things look kosher, so to speak, they brought everybody together and they had the full Sanhedrin, the full 70 plus the high priest were all there. They cast their vote. and They decided, "Well, oh, we're actually going to have Jesus killed. That was the deciding vote that uh, took place in the daylight so they could at least seem like they're operating above the law. Any other thoughts or questions on those first three Jewish trials before we get into the Roman trials today? Alright, and remind me, where was Peter at all this time? When we looked at last week all these trials were going on, what's Peter up to? Listen,
1: he's nearby. He's watching. Yeah? Well, he
3: started out in the front of him. Yes. He tried to defend Jesus.
0: He's out there slicing ears off, right?
3: <laughs> at least one.
0: Yeah. yeah, at least one. Ears, really not the, the proper term, but he was ready to fight. And He had admitted and confessed boldly as much just hours before that I will die for you Jesus I'm not going to betray you and thinking that he knows better than Jesus but then he's just yeah sitting there watching just observing and I'm sure that he wishes that that was all that could have been said about him right but he didn't just sit there and watch he denied Christ three times and ran off and was no longer there no longer observing he was Picture just mourning his sinful heart. All right, well, we are looking at these first three trials, or the latter three trials rather, the Roman trials. Uh, Let's go ahead and open up to Mark 15 if you're not already there. We'll go ahead and start by reading Mark 15, verse 1. It says, early in the morning, the chief priests with the elders and the scribes and the whole council immediately held a consultation and binding Jesus. They led him away and delivered him to Pilate. So here, just in this one verse, we see a a summary of the third trial, the trial before the Sanhedrin. And uh, it's anticipating his first Roman trial or his first civil trial in just this one verse. He's leaving the council before the Sanhedrin and they're getting ready to go before Pilate. Now, notice within this verse, it's nuts to me toward the end, it says that they actually bound Jesus. Remember, again, they had possibly upwards of a thousand people who were there in the garden. They had all the strength, all the manpower. Um, As Jerry mentioned, Peter tried to go out swinging his sword and jesus told him to stop knock it off put down your sword he even healed the man's ear and yet they still thought we need to bind this man we need to actually put him in in cuffs so to speak even though they were there with um with swords and clubs right i was trying to think of what the term was but yeah clubs and swords again totally outnumbered jesus but they still bound him up um back in fourteen forty-eight and 49, Jesus points out this inconsist- inconsistency to them as well. It says, And Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs to arrest me as you would against a robber? Every day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But this has taken place to fulfill the scriptures. And so they had no need to actually bind him up. This was Jesus, right? The the humble and meek, gentle and lowly, coming in, riding on a donkey just days before. And they thought, you know what, we're going to bind him up, even though it was completely unnecessary. Um, that's the, the sinfulness of man. Yeah, Jerry.
3: Well, it's probably also a show for pilot. They've been like, taking their like. Yep. Just any ordinary man. that They were coming I and crucified. They had to at least get him the appearance that he's dangerous.
0: Yeah. They're just putting on a show for Pilate, aren't they? And, yeah, that's where they're headed at the end of verse 1. They bound him and led him away, delivered him to Pilate. What do we know about Pilate?
3: He was the was a Roman governor there and a, uh, an appointee of
0: Caesar. All right. Yeah, so a Roman governor and appointee of Caesar. Um does history remember him as a, a good guy or a bad guy? <laughs> Thumbs down, right? Not a good guy. Um, you guys familiar with the Apostles' Creed? We hear mention of him in the Apostles' Creed. Uh, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Maker of Heaven, Maker of Earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son and our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, and uh, suffered under Pontius Pilate. Right? He's even remembered in history, as one that Jesus suffered under. Uh, not a, a great history with uh, with Pontius Pilate, right? Pilate was a cruel Roman prefect over Judea. That was the area that he had command and control over, who, pred, who was prejudiced before even hearing Jesus' case. Uh, he was prejudiced on a, a couple of accounts. First off, the fact that he's a Roman, right, in this region of the Jews, um, that makes him quite prejudiced because he's there is an, an occupying force. The Jews don't want him there, and he doesn't really like the Jews either. In fact, he hated the Jewish people. In Luke thirteen one, that's where uh, these people come before Jesus and they're telling Jesus about. The Galileans whose blood Pilate had spilled and mixed in with their sacrifices. That was attributed to Pilate. He's the one. He went and he killed those Galileans. And their blood was mixed in with their sacrifices. And that's one of those little instances in scripture where you're like, well, what What does that mean? Give me some more information, some more context. But that's really all that we get. And Jesus takes and flips that story and says, well, do you, you really think that you're more righteous than these Galileans? You're not They're not any more sinful than you guys. You guys are just as sinful in in your flesh as those Galileans who had their blood spilt and mixed in with uh, their sacrifices. But again, that was just to point out the fact that Pilate is the one who's orchestrating this. He didn't have a great love and appreciation for the Jewish people. Also, he was prejudiced in the sense that he only came to Jerusalem for special events. He didn't live in Jerusalem, so he was only there for... Uh, these big city-wide events like Passover, and he was there to ensure peace and order. That was his purpose for being in the city. And so he already had this kind of mindset of things are going to happen, riots might break out, there are going to be troublemakers, people are going to uh, rise up, and I need to be there to keep things settled, right? to keep order in place. And so before he even meets Jesus, he kind of has this mindset about him. That he's there to take care of troublemakers. And then he sees Jesus coming up, bound like a prisoner. And he gets to now deal with that. This becomes Pilate's problem. As we uh, already noted, these trials aren't all found within one gospel. So we're not seeing all six of these trials in the gospel of Mark. We don't see all six in Luke or John or Matthew. Uh, We put them together. And I've shown you this before. I want to show you again. This is a Harmony of the Gospels. And there are a lot of books like this. And it's really helpful because you can open it up and it will show you, well, this is what Matthew says. This is what Mark says. And this particular page I happen to open up to. John has most of the narrative there. But you get over here and you see that there's like little bits and pieces from each author. And you can kind of piece them together to get a fuller picture of the story of what happened. And so as we look at these last three Roman trials. That's kind of what I want to do. I want to uh, walk through the four Gospels together and uh, take the the biggest chunk, the biggest piece of narrative that that author gives on a certain aspect of this story and kind of stitch them all together so we can understand these three uh, Roman trials as best as we can. So to do that, I am hoping to get three volunteers to read with me from these different Gospels. So I'll stick in... Mark and can I get somebody to read from Matthew and John and Luke? Andy? John? John? All right, you have the lion's share that John is the most. Uh, uh, Martin, Joseph Martin, I forgot your name. Uh, who, would you like Matthew or Luke, sir? I'll do Luke. Luke, all right, and who can I get to do Matthew? All right, Hayden. So Hayden, Matthew. Joseph, you got Luke, and we're going to put you to work today, Andy, with John. So you can go ahead and start to make your way to John 18, Luke 23, and Matthew 27 is primarily where we will be. And I'll throw the passages up there in yellow for you so you can start making your way there and get ready. Uh, So we'll go ahead and start with that passage in John 18. Uh, whenever you get there, Andy, I, okay. you need to sit closer if you have to squint like that.
4: Yeah.
0: John 18, 28 through 30. Sitting closer doesn't help, huh? No. <laughs> That's why you sit so far in the back?
3: Yeah.
0: All right. right. Somebody's got an excuse. Yeah.
4: Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early. And they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, "What accusation do you bring against this man?" They answered and said to him, "If this man were not an evildoer, he would not have, we would not have delivered him to you."
0: All right. So, a couple things to note in this passage. Uh, notice again, it was early in the morning, so that matches with what we just read in, or what we read before in Matthew 27, and what we read in Mark 15:1. So, early in the morning, right after the trial before the Sanhedrin, they get up and they head to, to Caesar uh, after their illegal night trials, right? And then we see that they were more concerned with their dinner plans than with justice. They didn't want to go into uh, the, the palace. They didn't want to go into this Gentile's house because they would be unclean. They wouldn't be able to partake in their dinner plans at night. So they're not thinking about having justice be upheld. They're not thinking about, okay, well, is this man really a criminal? And uh, how do we see justice take place here? Do we need to bring him before pilots so pilot can uh, bring forward witnesses and have a, a defense attorney and you know, make sure everything is done according to the law. They just don't even want to go in because they would defile themselves. They wouldn't be able to sit down and have the, the Passover meal later that night. And notice in uh, 29, if you're there, and John... it says, Therefore, Pilate went out to them. Which is kind of crazy to speak, to to think about, because we're speaking about the the governor here. This is the man who has the the power and the authority in the situation. And because the Jews are being difficult, he has to go out to them. And so, um, we should note that these guys don't really get along, right? Uh, Pilate is the the invading power. He's coming in and uh, trying to uh, exercise. He's the, the face of Rome um, in front of these Jewish people that don't want Rome involved in their life, right? They're the occupying force. And uh, the Jewish leaders, they're kind of being a little bit difficult and, and making him come out. And it's surprising that he actually does. That he listens to their request to come out before them. Um, so we see um, just the total hypocrisy of the Jewish leaders because they don't want to to go into this man's house because they would be defiled, but think about what they're doing. They're there to condemn an innocent man. It's totally fine for them to have God in the flesh put to death this innocent man, but God forbid they go into the house and defile themselves and then sit down and partake of the Passover meal. Uh, this is akin to what they did with Judas, right? Where they're willing to pay him these 30 pieces of silver to betray Jesus, but then he goes back and says, this is blood money, I don't want it, I feel guilty. And they say, no, we can't take this. This is blood money. This isn't a a righteous use of money. We can't take this. Even though they're the ones who gave gave it to him for that purpose. Just total hypocrisy. We see the same thing here. We can't go in there because we'll be unclean while we're trying to have Jesus put to death. Uh, absolutely ridiculous. And they asked Pilate to condemn Jesus just based on their word, to assume their guilt. And again, we can see a little bit of the uh, the sarcasm on their part that they're asking him, well, you need to, to come out here and you need to just put him to death. Just take our word for it. You don't even have to, to try him. You don't have to uh, do anything uh, to see whether or not he's guilty. We we brought him here. We wouldn't even bring him before you if he was innocent, right? Obviously, if we're here, then he's guilty. Just go ahead and condemn him and put him to death. That's what we want you to do for him, or do for us. And I think even in the way that they presented that, that in verse 31, uh, no, 30 rather, if this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. That's, kind of snarky, right? Again, talking to somebody who's in authority over you, who's taking the time to come out and uh, appease you because of your uh, religious rights and they're being snarky with him. So we see that there's bad blood among these guys, literally, right? Like we saw back in Luke 13. Um, These guys don't get along at all. All right, well, let's look at Luke 23, 1 through 2. You got that for us, Joseph?
2: Yeah. It says then the whole body of them got up and brought him to the fire. and they began to accuse him, saying, "We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, and saying that he himself is a Christ, a king."
0: All right. So look at what they accuse him of in verse two. We found this man misleading our nation forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ the King. Is Jesus guilty of these charges? Yes. All of them? (laughs) Yeah, he's not misleading the nation, right? Um, To claim that God is misleading anybody is blasphemous, and so they're guilty here of blasphemy. Forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar... Jesus didn't do that, right? Remember, uh, Sam taught back in Mark 12, the whole passage where they're trying to trip up Jesus and say, well, should we pay taxes to Caesar? And he says, well, bring me a denarius, bring me a coin. said there's Caesar's image on it, right? So render unto Caesar that which is Caesar, render unto God that which is God's. And we know from uh, Matthew 17 that Jesus actually paid taxes. He told Peter, go out and and find a fish and look in his mouth and there was a coin in it to pay both Jesus' taxes and Peter's taxes. So they're, again, just trying to throw anything up against the wall to see what's going to stick against Jesus because they have this animosity towards him in their heart and they're trying to see, okay, well, what can we get that is actually going to, to land that's going to put him to death? And this is what they come up with. But notice that these specific crimes are crimes that would be of interest to the Romans, right? Because the Romans are not worried about Jesus being a, a blasphemer. They're not worried about him uh, saying that he's the son of God. They could care less, right? They have a plethora of gods. And so to blaspheme God isn't of a, a, a Roman concern. It's not a Roman law that you shouldn't blaspheme. But what is of Roman concern is somebody else rising up to taking place of caesar somebody else rising up to uh to come up against caesar to challenge his authority and so these specific accusations were crafted to cast jesus as a as a political insurrectionist and would be seen as alarming for the roman authorities who are trying to keep peace who are trying to make sure that caesar is happy and nobody is challenging his authority John Grasmick says in his commentary that before the Sanhedrin, Jesus was condemned for blasphemy under Jewish law, but here he was tried for treason under Roman law. On both occasions, he was sentenced to die in conformity with God's will. That's important to keep in mind that uh, behind the scenes, God is one who is working all these things together for his good according to the purpose of his will. He's the one who is controlling all these circumstances, but the two main parties coming up against Jesus, the Romans and the Jews are doing so for different reasons. And the Jews are being very crafty and sneaky in the accusations that they're bringing against Jesus before Pilate. Any thoughts or questions for this point? Alright. Let's keep trudging along. In Mark fifteen two, we see that uh, Pilate actually uh, bites on these accusations a little bit. They do strike a chord of concern with him, the fact that he is being presented as the king of the Jews. So Mark 15.2 says, Pilate questioned him, are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, it is as you say. Now, Mark is short and concise, right? He kind of keeps it to the point. And he says, Pilate is asking him, are, are you, you, you are the king of the Jews, really? There's nothing special about you, right? You have no, no stately form, no majesty about you. You're just a, a dirty old Jew, right? Uh, there's nothing special to look at. There is no appearance that should attract people to yourself. You don't have any followers. You don't have anybody with you. You're here all alone. You call yourself a rabbi. Where are all of your disciples at? Where are all of your learners at? What do you mean that you are you are king of the Jews? And Jesus answered and said, "Well, it is as as you say. You you said it right. I am king of the Jews, so to speak." Um, and this is just a really short, brief uh, account of what's taken place. But if we turn to John, we can see a larger section of the narrative. Andy, do you have? John eighteen thirty one through 38 for us, the expanded version of what took place in Mark 15, 2. Yep.
4: So Pilate said to them, <clears throat> take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the words of Jesus which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Hmm. Therefore Pilate entered again into the Praetorium summoned jesus and said to him are you the king of the jews jesus answered are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me pilate answered i'm not a jew am i your own nation and the chief priests delivered you to me what have you done jesus answered my kingdom is not of this world if my kingdom were of this world then my servants would be fighting so that i would not be handed over to the jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world. To testify to the truth, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him.
0: All right. Anything stick out to you in that passage? Yeah, to me, that the
1: Sanhedrin would say, well, "We bring them to you because we can't kill
0: them. Yeah. But you can. <laughs> yeah. Again, the hypocrisy, right? Yeah. And a couple of weeks ago, we went back and we looked at how there's actually provision within the Mosaic Law that they could put a blasphemer to death, right? They could stone a blasphemer. And we see that a little bit later, actually, in Acts 7. They actually do that with Stephen, right? They stone Stephen to death. But um, it says in the following verse, in verse 32, that this was to fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying the kind of death that he was about to die. Um, Do you think that being stoned to death is a pretty physical way to die? That's pretty intrusive, right? And and during that process, you're liable to uh, not only have some, some internal bleeding, right? Some issues with, you know, your, your insides uh, and just breathing on the outside. But you're liable to have bones shattered and broken, right? Having stones thrown at you and heaved upon you. And so Jesus, uh, he was to have no broken bones at all. Right? Looking back to Psalm 3420, it says that he keeps all of his bones. Not one of them is broken. And next week, we'll actually take a, a deeper look at this prophecy and um, some other Old Testament prophecies about the death of Christ and look at his crucifixion and how it ties in with some Old Testament prophecies. But that's vital. That's important. The fact that he is to die in this specific way by the Romans because the Jews couldn't kill him in this way. They could only stone him. And even at this point, it seems like they were unwilling to adhere to that point of the law. They were unwilling to uphold the righteousness of God and the, the glory of his name by exercising this, uh, this judgment upon those who actually blaspheme. Anything else stick out to you guys in this passage? John 18, 30 through 38.
4: Pilate's cynicism.
0: Yeah, that's, that's kind of
4: sounds real familiar. Yeah.
0: yeah, It wasn't long before this, right back in John 14, 6, where Jesus declared, I am the way, the truth and the life. So truth is standing incarnate before him, and he has the ignorance to ask, well, what is truth? Good.
3: Well, also, Jesus is a king but it's not of this realm not of this world Mm. which i accepted yes
0: yeah that's crazy right jesus never denied his kingship in fact he affirmed his kingship he let him know yes i am a king and and you're not going to get it you're not going to understand because again i don't have all my disciples behind me i don't have all of my uh the the people that are are loyal to me they're not with me and i'm not you know wearing my my nice robe i don't have my scepter i'm not here ruling in power but yeah i'm a king he didn't deny it at all and again as you said even so even after jesus affirmed this fact that he is king pilate uh proclaimed him innocent he didn't say okay well uh you're coming up against caesar you can't call yourself a king because there's only one king and his name is Caesar. You need to stop it. You need to knock it off. He proclaimed him innocent. Uh, Whether or not he thought he was a lunatic, he thought he was nuts, and just, oh, this crazy man thinks he's a king, just let him go. Or if he was truly fearful, I think we have some evidence in the text that Pilate had some understanding that this man had some true power. Um, It's hard to really get inside of his head and know what he was thinking, but in the end, he proclaimed him innocent, even though Jesus never denied the fact that he was king. Any other thoughts or questions on that passage?
3: Well, that was the same thing that I was wondering about, you know, he is proclaiming himself king, but he releases him. As I find it all Um, Does he not have a history with Jesus? He would know that this guy in front of him has raised dead people. He has committed all these, all these miracles, mm-hmm. and now he's saying, "I'm king." I mean, you would think he would be very, uh, you know, we need to do away with, threat because I mean, he's legitimate somebody to mess with. Yeah. I mean, he is a he has more authority than most of the kings in that day. Yeah. Uh, as far as what he can do.
0: It's hard to imagine that he wouldn't have heard about Jesus at some point. We read later on in Luke that Herod, he was aware of who Jesus was. He had uh, an understanding of the fact that he existed, but he had never met him. Caesar lived in Caesarea. He didn't live in Jerusalem. He was just there for the holiday. But, yeah, I have a hard time believing that he hadn't heard something about him. And so, yeah, we have to go back to the whole uh, C.S. Lewis right? He's either liar, lunatic, or Lord, and uh, surely uh, Pilate had one of those in mind for Jesus. Oh, this guy's just lying, or he's absolutely nuts. Remember, that's what his own family thought about him Uh, back in chapter three or four. They thought, well, Jesus is just crazy. We need to get him away, right? He's not even feeding himself, and so it's reasonable to think that perhaps Pilate thought that he was crazy too, and was just willing to let him go, or maybe he actually thought, this guy truly is Lord, I don't want to mess with him, so I'm going to proclaim him innocent. And it seems like he's really trying throughout these, uh, at least the two aspects of his trials, to proclaim him innocent, to see him let go and set free.
3: Or he's seeing, seeing that Jesus literally is messing with the heads of his enemies, and he might have got a kick out of it. <laughs> yeah? Because he's saying, I'm, I am your king. And they're saying, no, you're not
0: it, it seems like he's pretty eager to pass him off on Herod, though. Here in a minute, yeah. he figures out that he's a Galilean. He's like, okay, well, there's, there's Herod who's in charge of the the Galilean area, so I'm gonna try to pawn him off on him. Jerry, then Andy. Well,
2: it's also reasonable that he would
3: have known about him, but he also, if he knew about him, he knew that he was not a zealot. He was not trying doing anything, He's never yeah. done anything. following, as as evident, he had no following.
0: He so would have been seen as a humanitarian.
3: Yes, he, he had no fear of Jesus in that way, that he was actually trying to overthrow Rome, stir up, and become a guerrilla leader or something like that. So sure. he, he was in a he was in a pickle there, but it seems to me in my mind, he's, he's playing with
0: the um, the, Jewish, the leaders. Jewish leaders. Yep.
3: But he knew, it, it says, that they knew they were, they just had him up there because he was, they were jealous. They
0: were of, envious. Of yep. Problem. Yeah, there's a lot of that just play back and forth and this power struggle, power dynamic between the two. Andy. Yeah, and
4: I think that, well, I know that tempestuous of the Jewish people. Mm -hmm. They were a conquered people. They were constantly uh, the zealots were constantly trying to fight against the Romans. And Pilate is trying to maintain the peace in Judea. Um, So when you you would go in and crucify some uh, you know some zealot it would get the Jews all around up the, and they and like like you said elsewhere in scripture it talks about how Pilate was influenced specifically about Jesus. He probably would have known and heard about him just like you know, Jerry and Logan said. He he said very specifically that he was not here to take the Romans out. Yeah, that's what the Jews wanted. So it was sort of inverse where the people that the Jews did like, the Zealots, when they would crucify them, they'd get mad. Yeah, and now the Jews are going to be mad if they don't crucify Christ. Yeah, so
0: crazy power dynamics. At yeah, play, right, it was crazy. All right, well, let's keep going. Uh, in Mark. 15, 3 through 4. It says, The chief priest began to accuse him harshly. Then Pilate questioned him again, saying, Do you not answer? See how many charges they bring against you. Does somebody have that passage in 14, 16, and 61? Somebody who's not one of our four readers?
3: All right. Okay, go ahead,
1: Christina. But he kept silent
0: and answered nothing. Again, the high priest asked him, saying to him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? All right, so this was during the last trial, right, when Jesus was being questioned by the the high priest. And now he's taking the same approach. He's just remaining silent. And again, we have to think back to Isaiah 53, 7, that he's standing as a lamb silent before its shearers, right? Uh, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that was led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before it shears. So he did not open his mouth. And we've seen that now before the high priest. We see that here before Pilate. And uh, Pilate was amazed by the fact that he didn't open his mouth. We don't see that here in Mark 15:4, But that was the response of Pilate, that he was astonished that he would sit there in silence. All right, well, now we're going to take a pause. It doesn't mention this in in Mark's account, but between verses 5 and 6, we have inserted the trial before Herod. And it's not mentioned in Mark, it's only mentioned in Luke. So uh, let's look at Luke 23, 4 through 12. Joseph, you're our Luke man, right? Right. All right, you got that for us? Luke 23, 4 through 12.
2: was in Jerusalem at that time. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he had wanted to see him for a long time, because he had some hearing about him, and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. And he questioned him at some length, but he answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes were standing there, accusing him vehemently. And Herod, with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Now Herod and Pilate became friends with one another that very day, for before they had been
0: enemies with each other. Alright, so again, this is the only account that we have of Jesus' trial before Herod. Uh, Luke is the only one who records this for us. We see that the Jews here were adamant about seeing Jesus killed. They weren't going to take no for an answer. They kept pressing Pilate, even though Pilate was trying to proclaim in verse four, I find no guilt in this man. Verse five, they kept on insisting, saying he stirs up the people, teaching all over Judea, starting from Galilee, even as far as that, this place. And so again, they're trying to appease his uh, desire to have Caesar upheld. So this man's an insurrectionist. He's stirring up the people all the way. And then Uh, Herod hears, oh, Galilee? Well, I know somebody in Galilee. That's not my problem. That's Herod's problem. Let me pawn him off on Herod. And Herod um, was excited to see him, not because he wanted truth, right, but because he just wanted something different that day. He wanted a, a different feel of not having a normal, boring day in the office. Oh, there's something different going on. Oh, Jesus is coming. Maybe I'll see a magic show today, right? Maybe I'll be entertained somehow by seeing this man that i've heard all about and again if herod has heard about jesus we can surmise that pilate has likely heard about jesus as well Um, but what we see is that herod quickly gives into the desires of the people he doesn't have a backbone he's not willing to stand up for jesus not willing to stand up for truth or to see this trial done uh, appropriately or, or well according to the law He just wants to please the people, even going so far as to mock and ridicule Jesus and throwing this robe on him just to make fun of him uh, because he didn't get to see his magic trick. He figures he's going to make the day entertaining himself, I guess. I don't really understand what he's doing there. He's just trying to appease the people. Any thoughts or questions on this second trial before Herod? All right. so this is brief. This, again, is all the information we have on this trial. And then after this, um, it says that, let's see, verse 12. Now Herod and Pilate became friends that day. So before this, they were enemies. Oh, at the end of verse 11, that after putting the robe on him, he sent him back to Pilate. So now we're going to return back to Pilate um, with this break of... Herod in between, and this is what we're going to mark as our third trial, third row in trial of Jesus before Pilate again, a second time, um, having taken a break in between. Now we'll go back to Mark, and remember Mark doesn't mention a break of Herod, and so it goes from verse 5 straight into verse 6, which is later on, this third trial. It says in Mark 15, 6 through 8, I'll go ahead and read that, and there's those references for those of you who are in Luke and Matthew, Joseph and Hayden. But Mark fifteen six through 8 says, Now at the feast, he used to release for them any one prisoner whom they requested. The man named Barabbas had been imprisoned with the insurrectionists who had committed murder in the insurrection. The crowd went up and began asking him to do as he had been accustomed to do for them. And so... Again, Mark is just quick and to the point. We see that a crowd has now formed, or your translation might say a multitude. We're introduced to this man Barabbas, who we're told is locked up with the insurrectionists, um, the particular insurrectionists who had committed murder. So he was locked up with them, um, but Mark isn't so specific as to say that he was amongst them, that he was himself guilty. Um, but we can be looking for some additional information in Luke, and so let's pay attention. See how Luke changes and what he adds to the narrative, as Joseph reads for us, Luke twenty three thirteen through sixteen.
2: I summoned the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, "You brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges." You make against him. No, nor has Herod, for he has sent him back to us, and behold, nothing deserving death has been done by him. Therefore I will punish him and release him.
0: Alright, so what did you see that's added that's different in Luke from what Mark had mentioned back in Mark fifteen, six through eight? Any additional information you picked up on? Well, Mark's account is fuller than, or Luke's account rather, is a little bit fuller than Mark's. So is there anything that you picked up on in Luke's account that Mark didn't mention in his account?
1: Just that he's commenting that himself as governor and Herod as king, both have found no fault. Whereas in Mark, he's simply giving back to the Jews, what option do you want me
0: to do? Yeah, Good. Yeah, so he's uh, actually mentioning Herod here. Herod isn't even mentioned back in Mark at all. And here for the first time, we see that Herod actually proclaimed him innocent. Uh, He didn't really mention that before in verses 4 through 12 when he was talking about his trial before Herod. But here he says, yeah, Herod found him innocent. I find him innocent. Um, And so he's really trying to stick up for the people. Or he's really trying to persuade the people to find Jesus innocent. He's trying to stick up for Jesus. Um, we see here that Pilate actually summoned the leaders of the crowd. I found that interesting. Um, you know, I, I don't really watch the, the Chosen, that new TV show. Uh, it's not something my family watches for a number of reasons, but the primary reason is I don't want um, somebody else kind of shaping my perspective of Scripture rather than Scripture when I was growing up, I went to um, Calvary Chapel. They always put on a play every year of the crucifixion. And in that play, they had Pilate speaking down to the masses, down to the crowd, saying these things. But here we can see this is more of a, a private conversation. He has called kind of off to the side the, the leaders. He's called the the leaders of the crowd to come and have this side conversation. So we're at this point kind of eavesdropping on this side conversation. But every time that I've read this, in my mind, he's been speaking down to the crowd because my my perception has been shaped by that play that I used to watch every year. Um, and so this was a, a private conversation taking place with the leaders. Um, and then, yes, he acknowledges his innocence and that Herod um, also found him innocent. And then here also he adds the The fact that Barabbas himself was imprisoned for insurrection and murder. He wasn't just associated with that group, but he was actually imprisoned for the insurrection himself. He was imprisoned for the murder himself. John adds that he was also a robber. So Barabbas was truly a a criminal. Yes, Joseph? So, like Barabbas, wasn't he basically
2: in line to be put to death?
0: Yeah. Yep. That was a punishment that was awaiting him.
2: But then they released him, so.
0: Yeah, so he got off scot-free. And then Jesus, who's absolutely innocent, ends up being put to death. Right. Bit ironic, isn't it? Bit right.
3: ironic.
0: Yep. And we were in the same spot. What was that, Jerry? Like us. Like us, exactly. <laughs> All right. Hayden, do you have Matthew 27, 17 through 21 for us? Yeah. This is a completely different addition to the story.
3: So when the people gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release for you, Barabbas or Jesus who is called Christ? For he knew that because of envy they had handed him over. While he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him a message saying, Have nothing to do with that righteous man, for last night I suffered greatly in a dream because of him. But the, chiefs, but the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowds to ask for Barabbas and to put Jesus to death. But the governor said to them, which of the two do you want me to release for you? And
0: they said, Barabbas. All right. So there we have the added narrative of Pilate's wife having this dream and coming to Pilate and warning him. And Pilate is even more fearful of after this point And uh, again, is trying to persuade the people. Let this man go, this wicked man, Barabbas. It seems like a clear and obvious choice, right? He's an insurrectionist. He's a murderer. He's a robber. Just let him go and, and take Jesus who is either this crazy guy or he's actually a true, the true king of the Jews. Um, he's trying to persuade the people to, to go that way, but um, doesn't have the will to actually follow through with it. And going back to Mark 15. Mark 15, 9 through 11. I'll grab those verses real quick. It says that Pilate answered them saying, do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he was aware that the chief priest had handed handed him over because of envy. So he knows their motives. Even if they don't understand the reason for their wanting him dead, Pilate can see and he can understand. They're just envious. Verse 11, But the chief priests stirred up the crowd to ask him to release Barabbas for them instead. And so they're stirring up the crowd. They're trying to incite this crowd to, to violence. Um, because... They are envious in their hearts. And so, Pilate here uh, identifies Jesus as the king of the Jews. And in doing so, this reveals for us even more animosity between the two groups, right? He's just mocking them. You guys brought him here because you said he's not your king. I will release for you the king of the Jews. Just kind of taking a jab at him. Or I can release to you this criminal, right? Does somebody have that verse for us in Acts 4. 27, 28, that's a, a great verse. It really highlights the animosity, not just between Pilate and the Jews, but also between Pilate and Herod. Remember, we read that before this day, they weren't friends, and they were brought together because of this animosity for Jesus, and then also throws in the, the Gentiles. Uh, surely you guys have heard the, the saying that, uh, what is it? The, the enemy of my enemy is my friend, Right. A little bit of that's kind of going on here with all these different groups at play. Who's got Acts 4, 27 through 28?
2: I got it. Okay. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place.
0: All right, so we see Herod and Pontius Pilate, Gentiles and peoples of Israel, None of these guys were friends with each other, right? The Jews hated Gentiles. Gentiles hated Jews. The Jews hated Herod for being a traitor. They hated Pontius Pilate for having this kind of authority over them. And again, as we read, Pontius Pilate and Herod, they didn't even get along until today. So they're kind of brought together by their joint hatred for Jesus. But all along, Jesus God is the one who's orchestrating these things. He's bringing these things all together. All right. Back in Mark 15, we will go ahead and read 12 through 14. It says, Answering again, Pilate said to them, Then what shall I do with him, whom you call King of the Jews? They shouted back, Crucify him. But Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. Wishing to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas for them. And after having Jesus scourged, he handed him over to be crucified. And will you add Luke on there for us? Joseph, Luke twenty-three twenty through twenty-two. He adds a a little bit to the narrative there.
2: I then wanted to release Jesus, address them again, but they kept on calling out, saying, "Crucify, crucify him!" And he said to them the third time, "Why? What evil has this man done? I have found in him no guilt demanding death. Therefore, I will punish him and release him."
0: All right. So Luke just says outright that. Pilate wanted to release him. That was the desire of Pilate. In fact, three times, Pilate tries to release him. And Jesus um, is uh, being... He's just caught in the middle because uh, Pilate is all along citing a lack of evidence, a lack of truth, a lack of justice. And in the end, he's willing to to punt on that. He ends up betraying his... uh, morals in the end but that's what he's citing all along and he even tries to appease the Jews by having Jesus scourged and then released that's what it says in Luke 23:22 we'll, we'll just have him scourged we'll put him under this uh, physical uh, just beating and then we'll have him released instead of killed and John Grasmick says this about scourging he says a Roman flogging or scourging was a brutal beating that always preceded the execution of capital sentence on male offenders, though it could also be a separate punishment, which seems like that's what Pilate wanted. Let's have him scourged and then released. The prisoner was stripped, often tied to a post, and beaten on the back by several guards using short leather whips, studded with sharp pieces of bone or metal. No limit was set on the number of blows, and often this punishment was fatal. And so he really... Was trying to have Jesus released. All right, let's turn to John. We'll see if we can wrap things up here quickly. John 19, 1 through 5. You have that for us, Andy?
4: Yep. <clears throat> Pilate then took Jesus and scorched him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and put a purple robe on him. And they began to come up to him and say, Hail, King of the Jews, and to give him slaps in the face. Pilate came out again and said to them, Behold, I am bringing him out to you so that you may know that I find no guilt in him." Jesus then came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold, the man.
0: Man. That's hard to read, right? Talking about our king and how they're, they're treating our king. And... Actually, I think we'll probably pause here and we'll come back to this and we'll wrap up the rest of John 19 next week and look at how this third trial, this third Roman trial ends and how Pilate uh, deals with, with Jesus in the end. But before we do that, any thoughts or questions on what we've looked at so far? The first trial before Pilate, his trial before Herod, and what we've looked at so far up to this point. Yeah, Joseph. Name Christina. Do you,
2: th- do you think that pilot ever felt like? Do you think he ever had like trouble sleeping that night, like knowing that you know he felt the pressure of all these people to put to death this man that was like completely innocent?
0: Yeah, I'm I'm sure that by the time he he didn't have time to think about it, so he didn't even get to go to sleep feeling that pressure, right? At, by the time he went to sleep, I'm sure that he had a hard time sleeping, but not because of the pressure, because at that point he had already. Uh, Taking care of the problem, there was no pressure from the people. He had appeased that the people, and so I think the the trouble sleeping came from a guilty conscience because he had put to death the lordly universe. Christina,
1: it was interesting to me to uh, think of God's hand in the Sanhedrin's minds and hearts, because when I through this study today have come to realize that they could have in their mosaic law and tradition stoned him. If they had a bad relationship with Rome, yeah. you would think you would think that they would want to keep it in family. Yep. And not let what they so badly wanted to be removed. Let somebody else deal with that.
0: Yeah. Well just let's, let's just do it ourselves, right?
1: Let's do it ourselves. But yet I guess It just makes me wonder why they wouldn't, except for it was the fulfillment of Scripture, and that's God's hand, they could have very easily stumped
0: him. Yeah, and God is orchestrating the heart of kings like rivers of water. How much more so these common people, God is in control of all things, yeah. Yeah, but yeah, just in their their human wisdom, it would be much easier for them to say, oh, he's blasphemed God. We've already condemned him um, three times in these mock trials, right? We'll go ahead and stone him ourselves. But that wasn't within the the plan of God. And so they had to go to Rome, and their their enemies, they didn't enjoy going to Pilate. And yeah, all that was to fulfill Scripture, and we'll take a, a deeper look at that next week and see how old testament prophecy really ties in with the the crucifixion and death of our lord all right well let's go ahead and pray and we'll break god thank you again for your truth thank you for your word uh continue to open up our eyes and uh draw our hearts to you god help us to to worship you to praise you to lift you up in our hearts and with our mouths this morning amen